the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Trump in front. Good afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast. A new NBC News Wall Street Journal poll has Donald Trump widening his lead over Joe Biden in the race for president. Donald Trump now leads Joe Biden by five points. Compare that to the last time we polled back in November. Trump was ahead then, but it was only by two points. NBC News political analyst Steve Kornacki. For the first time in November, Donald Trump polled ahead in our poll, and now at five points, this is the biggest lead NBC has ever had in 16 polls for Donald Trump over Joe Biden. The poll has Trump ahead of Biden by 22 points when it comes to the economy. He has a 35-point advantage when it comes to securing the border. That $118 billion border security bill crafted in the Senate seems to be going nowhere in the House. Too bad, says Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. This is one of the most important pieces of legislation that the Senate has seen in years and years and years. And we cannot let politics get in the way of passing this legislation. So what's in this legislation? Reporter Nicole Killian. It would give the administration new emergency authority to expel migrants, streamline asylum proceedings, and end policies like catch and release. The bipartisan compromise was forged after months of negotiations in the Senate. The bill also includes funding for Ukraine, Israel, and humanitarian assistance in Gaza. Bond Speaker Mike Johnson says the measure does not address the fundamental flaws in our current immigration system. That's why it's dead on arrival in the House. The deputy chief of of U.S. Border Patrol, a 33-year veteran of the agency, he said it's as though we're administering an open fire hydrant. He said, I don't need more buckets like the president's proposed. I need to stop the flow, and we know how to do that, but Joe Biden is unwilling to do it. The House may vote tomorrow to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas over his handling of border security. It's bombs away in the Middle East. The Biden administration making good on a promise to strike Iran-backed rebels who killed three American soldiers in a drone strike a week ago. Friday's attacks, 85 targets, uh, seven locations using B-1B bombers out of Texas. I think this was tactically significant to degrade the capability of these Shia militia groups that are sponsored by Iran. Ultimately, whether it changes the calculus of Iran, that's what we call deterrence, whether it changes their minds and causes them to back off Only time will tell. National security analyst Jeremy Bash. Our coverage continues with correspondent Christian Benavidez. The U.S. says there are no plans to scale back its response against Iranian-backed militia groups after carrying out a series of airstrikes along with the U.K. over the weekend, targeting the Houthis in Yemen. This followed other airstrikes in Iraq and Syria. What happened on Friday was the beginning, not the end of our response. But the U.S. is walking a fine line, careful to avoid hitting any targets inside Iranian territory. South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham thinks the strikes did not go far enough in punishing Iran. People are not afraid of us. This idea of hitting hundreds of targets, it doesn't matter. We gave them a week's notice. So if there are another round of strikes coming, I hope they, they really will hurt Iran in their pocketbook or kill their leadership because if you don't, nothing changes. Washington Times columnist Mark Thiessen thinks we missed our chance to take a tough stance against terror. George W. Bush said he wasn't going to send a $2 million
million dollar missile to hit a camel in the butt in a $10 tent, they didn't even hit the camel because they warned the camels and the Iranians to get out of the way. That's how bad this was. Meantime, Secretary of State Blinken on his fifth diplomatic mission to the Middle East today. He's pushing for a resolution to the war in Gaza, which has claimed more than 26,000 lives since Hamas invaded Israel. The dreaded atmospheric river continues to pound California with a soaking rain that's led to flash flooding in L.A. and mudslides in Malibu. We've got roads that look like raging rivers. The current here is strong enough to uplift entire boulders. This one the size of a car tire. The car that was parked was carried down here by the current. Reporter Jonathan Vigliotti says over half a million Californians from Sacramento to San Diego have no power. L.A. Mayor Karen Bass. This storm is a serious weather event. This has the potential to be a historic storm. Reporter Elise Preston has the latest from waterlogged Santa Barbara. Officials in coastal communities have issued evacuation warnings and orders, including Los Angeles County. Now, the National Weather Service issued a rare hurricane force wind warning for some parts of the state. That means wind gusts of up to 92 miles per hour. Sergeant Cyrus Zeta with the Ventura County Sheriff's Department. We've activated our search and rescue teams that are on standby for any type of emergencies that may occur. That includes like swift water rescue. Governor Newsom's declared a state of emergency for eight counties. In central Chile, at least 112 people have died in devastating wildfires that are raging at a popular tourist destination. There are over 160 active fires burning right now in that South American country. For the second year in a row, President Biden will skip the traditional pregame Super Bowl interview. CBS said on Saturday that the White House had turned down the network's request for an interview with Biden before the big game, which is expected to be watched by tens of millions of people. It has become a somewhat regular tradition for presidents to interview with the network that broadcasts the Super Bowl. Biden declined to sit for an interview with Fox News last year as well. I'm Mark Mayfield. Media critic Joe Concha cannot understand why the president would turn down this opportunity. It's truly telling that Joe Biden's handlers are simply petrified of putting him in front of a camera without a teleprompter or scripted remarks to guide him. The Super Bowl, even the pregame, is by far the most watched program of the year. He should be telling his handlers he wants this interview. Donald Trump should take this opportunity and say, hey, I'll take that spot. I'll, I'll do this interview instead. For the record, Trump did skip the 2018 Super Bowl interview when he was president. That game was on NBC. The tradition of presidents appearing on TV during the Super Bowl began in 2004 when then-President George W. Bush spoke with CBS's Jim Nance. A Russian cosmonaut has set a new record for the most time spent in space. Yesterday, Oleg Kononenko logged his 878th day in space aboard the International National Space Station. By the time he returns to Earth, this spaceman will have spent more than 1,100 days in orbit. His first launch was way back in 2008. Still to come on the Noon Report, February Thaw, Shapiro Budget, and Binghamton hosts high school sports. Good afternoon. I'm Kevin Williams. A tranquil week is ahead weather-wise. I'll fill in the forecast details coming up 
in 10 minutes. All right, thank you very much, Kevin. News where you live next. The sister of a woman who was shot and killed Friday night by police in Hamburg, New York. The sister was arrested one night later in Jamestown, New York. Cops say 33-year-old Brandy Height kicked in a door on the south side of the city, then took a knife from the kitchen and stabbed the person who lived there. She then left the scene and was later arrested by police in a vehicle. Her 36-year-old sister, Lisa Height, was the person killed in an officer-involved shooting 24 hours earlier in the town of Hamburg. That, too, was an attempted robbery, say police. Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro takes the wraps off a more than $45 billion budget proposal tomorrow in Harrisburg. He's setting himself up to be president of the United States on the backs of Pennsylvania taxpayers. That's Seth Grove. He is the ranking Republican on the House Appropriations Committee. When the surplus runs out, it's during his re-election for governor of Pennsylvania. When the rainy day fund runs out, that is on his presidential run in 2028. I don't think that's fair to, to treat Pennsylvanians as a political pawn, and I think he should be balancing the budget starting this year. The governor will deliver his budget address to a joint session of the General Assembly in the Capitol Rotunda tomorrow. It will not be in the House chamber where it typically is because of scaffolding that's been put up to fix a leaky roof. A date's been set for the death penalty trial of the man who murdered 10 people at a grocery store in Buffalo two years ago. The trial is set to begin on September 8th of next year. The Department of Justice announced on January 12th the death penalty would be sought against Peyton Gendron. The judge noted that the date could change, but also noted that it gives both sides something to work toward. Gendron killed 10 people and injured three others in a racially motivated mass shooting at Tops on Jefferson Avenue on May 14th of 2022. Dee Haley. Family Life News. Thank you, D. Recent changes to state police requirements appears to have had the desired effect in Pennsylvania. 40% of the 1,800 applicants for this year's trooper exam are not yet in college. Now, before this year, they would not be eligible to become a state trooper, but they are now because of changes to the application process. Those who've applied have until February 7th to take the state trooper exam. New York is making $25 million dollars available to help volunteer fire departments across the state. Those funds will be used to cover the cost of new equipment and facility upgrades. Great for the fire service uh, statewide. Equipment's getting expensive nowadays, so uh, we welcome it. Randy Apperson is the fire chief in Bemis Point, New York. The higher heats that you're exposed to with all the plastics uh, requires updated gear and us old guys, it gets heavy. <laughs> Apperson says his building itself is a bit overcrowded and could use a few renovations too. We're tight. We have higher equipment and this equipment just barely fits through this door. Bemis Point Mayor Jeff Molnar says the state funds are badly needed especially in small towns like his. The old model of fire departments doing chicken barbecues and selling raffle tickets and gun raffles and things like that, that's not sustainable. Fire engines today cost up to a million dollars each. Ambulances can cost about half that. A new AAA survey shows nearly 125 tow truck drivers, mobile mechanics, and emergency roadside technicians were hit and killed on the job the past eight years. For those that are uh, working on the side of the road, uh, rescuing stranded motorists, providing valuable service uh, to, to all motorists, 
It really is a very risky enterprise. AAA's William Horry says most of those highway fatalities happened on highways where the speed limit was greater than 55 miles an hour. A high school referee collapsed and died while officiating a junior varsity basketball game. Friday night in Mount Pleasant, Pennsylvania, that's in Westmoreland County, 46-year-old Michael Roebuck fell to the floor before the start of the second half. He was pronounced at a local hospital. A Southern Tier community has scored a major win when it comes to high school athletics. Broome County, New York has secured the right to host the state's boys basketball and girls softball tournaments for the next three years. Mike Andrew is regional sports coordinator for Section 6 Athletics. It is the best situation in New York State. It's centrally located. It is a facility of championship caliber and we appreciate all of the efforts that Broome County makes. Judy Hess is director of Visit Binghamton. So now we've got lots of opportunities to welcome lots of people and make a great economic impact and show off everything that makes Broome County so special. Softball will be played at the Greenlight Network's Grand Slam Park in the town of Dickinson, while basketball will happen in the Veterans Memorial Arena in downtown Binghamton. Binghamton is also continuing an 18-year streak of hosting the state baseball tournament. So you got basketball, baseball, and softball, all of it happening in the city of Binghamton. Let's talk more sports next. It's the two-minute drill on the Family Life Noon Report. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Bob in a game where practically nobody pays attention to because no defense is really ever played. Defense decided the winner. The Pro Bowl played yesterday, and it's usually the highest scoring game of the season, and it was 64 to 59. Imagine that. 123 points scored in an NFL game. Albeit, it was a flag football game, but like I said, no defense. However, this game came down to the last play close to the goal line. On fourth and goal from the three-yard line, the NFC defense forced an incomplete pass from C.J. Stroud, and they won the game for their second straight year. So NFC head coach Eli Manning has bragging rights again over big brother Peyton, who coached the AFC. All right, some real games were played in the NBA last night. In Beantown, the Celtics' Jason Tatum scored 34 points on only three quarters of play as Boston blew out Memphis 131-91. High score honors of the night goes to Bradley Beal of Phoenix. He had 43 in leading the Suns to a rout of the Wizards, 140-112. to other winners, the Magic, Pacers, Clippers, T-Wolves, Thunder, Jazz, and Nuggets. And one other NBA note, and it's not a good note for the Philadelphia 76ers. They're going to be without their best player for some time. Joel Embiid going to miss, we don't know how much time, but they're saying substantial time because of a surgical procedure he's going to have on his meniscus. 35.3 points a game. The 76ers are going to have to figure out how to replace. 
That is a look at sports. All right, Randy, thank you very much. And still to come on the Noon Report for a Monday, California flooding, no-go on the border bill, and upping the ante in the Middle East. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. In a TEDx talk years ago, Israeli historian Yuval Harari made the startling claim that human rights do not actually exist. Here's what he said, quote, human rights are just like heaven and like God. It's just a fictional story that we've invented and spread around. It's not a biological reality. Just as jellyfish and woodpeckers and ostriches have no right, homo sapiens have no rights. Take a human, cut them open, look inside. You find their blood and you find the hearts and lungs and kidneys, but you don't find there any rights. The only place you find rights is in the fictional stories that humans have invented and spread around. End quote. Well, last week, Harari's talk resurfaced on the site formerly known as Twitter and sparked a lively debate there between Tom Holland, the historian and author of Dominion, Glenn Scrivener, an Anglican priest and author of The Air We Breathe, and Jordan Peterson, the Canadian psychologist and author of 12 Rules for Life. They all took issue with Harari's materialism. Scrivener took issue with it and called his remarks about human rights nonsense. Rights are indeed faith-based, Scrivener said, but that doesn't make them any less real. Tom Holland, who's not a Christian, maybe yet, responded that while he believes in human rights, they're not self-evident. Rather, they require an act of subjective belief. Jordan Peterson disagreed and responded in somewhat jumbled psychological lingo that rights are somehow, and I quote, built into the structure of human beings and are therefore not arbitrary at all. The whole exchange was both fascinating and instructive. It was at the heart of the United Nations 1948 Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which asserted, following the Holocaust, that both inherent dignity and equal and inalienable rights of all members of the human family are, and I quote, the foundation of freedom, justice, and peace in the world. Now, obviously, an older document that helped inspire this UN declaration also called rights self-evident, but went even further to name their source, a creator who had endowed people with these certain inalienable rights. If there is no one to endow human rights, how can anyone be expected to honor them? In the end, Glenn Scrivener offered the best answer to those kinds of questions. Here's what he said, quote, Rights indeed belong to all. That's the nature of them. But they've also come from somewhere particular. The source is not just any God, but the God who specifically became man in Jesus Christ, forever ennobling human nature and sparking the Christian revolution that would shape the West and inspire this declaration that all are created equal. In the days to come, only Christians who first gave the West its conception of rights will be able to declare them with any kind of authority. And that, at least, by now, should be self-evident. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Today's Breakpoint was co-authored by Shane Morris. And for more resources to live like a Christian today, go to breakpoint.org. Thank you, John. Outside we go next, Kevin Williams. Good afternoon. Here is your family life weather forecast. Well, on the weather map, the main weather action is to the west and south of us. We're dry for the next several days. For this afternoon, some of us still cloudy, especially across parts of central western New York, cloud cover breaking for some sun. Elsewhere, sun and clouds, high temps today, 30s and low 40s. Turning out clear and frosty cold tonight, the low mostly 20s. Tomorrow and Wednesday, plentiful sunshine and tranquil. High temps tomorrow, 30s to near 40, mid-30s to mid-40s for high temps. 
temperatures on Wednesday. All right, we'll take it. Thank you, Kevin. This is the Noon Report. I'm your host, Bob Price, and here's what's happening Monday, the fifth day of February 2024. The U.S. Senate could vote this week on a $118 billion border security bill that also includes money for the wars in Gaza and Ukraine. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Well, the bottom line is that everyone who looks at our bill says that it will greatly reduce the flow of illegal immigrants into this country. And that and, and it's done in a in a fair way. Oklahoma Senator James Lankford says the measure does not permit, as some have argued, up to 5,000 illegal border crossings per day. Some people are thinking that this is somehow like counting 5,000 people in every day and releasing them. That, that's absurd. We change the asylum laws. We increase detention beds. We double the deportation flights. Uh, we uh, add ankle monitors for people that are actually coming through that do these family groups that come through so we can track any individual that when we don't have capacity. There's all the things that we build into this to make this a much stronger system. But Speaker Mike Johnson says the legislation does not adequately address the fundamental flaws in current immigration policy and is therefore dead on arrival in the House. The President of the United States opened the border. We documented 64 specific actions that Joe Biden and his agencies have taken to create this catastrophe. They did it intentionally. The House could vote as soon as tomorrow to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas for his handling of border security. The U.S. Navy hit more terror targets linked to Iran in the Middle East overnight, even as Iran-backed Houthis prepare to launch more strikes at our ships in the Red Sea. Here's correspondent Keir Simmons. Waves of American strikes against Iranian-backed militia went all weekend, including on Friday night in Syria and Iraq, hitting munition stores and drone factories. White House spokesman John Kirby says dozens of targets in Yemen, Iraq, and Syria have been destroyed, and there's more U.S. firepower on the way. What you saw on Friday night was just the first round. There will be additional response actions taken by the administration. But so far, none of the targets destroyed were inside of Iran. Former Army Lieutenant Colonel and Green Beret Scott Mann. You know, it's a good first step, surgical targeting like that, but it's not enough. I mean, this is an asymmetric threat, very hard to pin down. A lot of times they probably moved a lot of the critical items and infrastructure or people, so I, I think it is going to take a more determined, more focused response, and, and absolutely it could be even focused on Iran. The stepped-up military action in response to the drone deaths last week of three American soldiers in Jordan. A state of emergency in effect for eight counties in California as the atmospheric river continues to rain down on the Golden State. Reporter Liz Cruz. From San Francisco to San Diego, 38 million people, virtually the entire state, under flood watches. The monster storm toppling trees, causing spinouts and landslides. Correspondent Dana Griffin is in waterlogged Santa Barbara. This storm and the, wet, the wetness from the storm is expected to dry out on Tuesday, but the threat of downed trees and landslides could remain for days. The region's received a six-month supply of rain in just the past 48 hours. A new study finds marijuana messes with your driving longer than you might think. Experts say weed impacts you differently than alcohol, and it can be harder to figure out when it's safe to drive after using the drug. That's because marijuana lingers in your system longer than alcohol. According to experts at the University of California, motor 
motorists need to wait at least four hours before getting behind the wheel after smoking marijuana. They need to wait even longer, at least six to eight hours after ingesting a cannabis edible. Marijuana is now legal in more than two dozen states. It's Super Bowl week in Vegas, and reporter Wendy Gillette has a preview. Super Bowl. When you watch this year's Super Bowl, you might be curious about the kind of person who snagged a ticket that goes for thousands of dollars. It's become, I would say, almost an 80% corporate to 20% private demographic that is attending the event. Barnabas Correga is CEO and founder of the GR8 Group, which creates curated experiences to attend high-profile events like the Super Bowl. We've done things with NFL legends, past Super Bowl champions. The cost for that kind of personalized experience ranges from twenty-five to $75,000 a person. And this year's suites are going for a million dollars. Wendy Gillette in Vegas, the scene of Super Bowl 58 this coming Sunday. Standardized test that's widely used for college admissions will look a lot differently this spring. Starting next month, the SAT will only be available in digital form. The new exam will also be shorter and adaptive, so questions will change depending on how a student performs as the test progresses. Students will have the option to take the test on a laptop or a tablet. Again, that's for this year's SAT. You're listening to the Noon Report on Family Life. Welcome back to another edition of Issues in Education. Mondays during the Noon Report, we give you a front row seat to all that's happening in our schools with our Ph.D. of Academics, Dr. Ralph Kerr at the Teaching and Learning Institute in beautiful Houghton, New York. Ralph, it's been a couple weeks. Uh, welcome back to the program, sir. Good to have you with us today. Thank you, Bob, and uh, great to be with you again today as well, and hopefully give some information to our listeners. All right, well, this one's a big story. This FAFSA form delay, more glitches in the system, these free forms for college assistance. How are these delays going to impact the college application process, both for the schools and for the students, Ralph? Well, this is just a, another case of some employees in the federal government need to be told do your job. Because yeah. back in uh, 2020, Congress passed a law that required that the Education Department would update the tables that are used for the free application for federal student aid form. The purpose was that they would adjust for inflation and other economic factors. Well, first, they told colleges that October 1st would be the date, and October 1st came and went, and then they said, well, it will be January 31st, and that date has now come and gone, and now, just yesterday, they said it's uh, going to be March 1st. Wow. Now, here's what the problem is. No school is going to offer a financial aid package to students without that information. And so I think what you'll see is most institutions are going to move back 
their May 1st date for deposits, which is normally, that's a very common date, when if you're going to come, you have to put your deposit down to the college or university. I think you'll see those dates shifted back. But in the meantime, it's just a really bad situation, both for colleges and universities, and maybe more importantly for students, prospective students and their parents, because they can't solidify where they're going to be going to school in the fall. Yeah. Uh, From the state of Ohio, Ralph, I thought this was interesting. A couple of lawmakers in the Cincinnati area say, hey, we know how to combat chronic absenteeism. We'll pay the parents to make sure their kids go to school. You can't make this stuff up. Your thoughts on that approach to dealing with absenteeism in school? Well, you know, what they're saying is, you know, we tried free pizza. That didn't work. We tried extending the playground hours, and that didn't work. So maybe we should try this, and we'll pay parents. And the way that it's structured is that they're going to take half of the kindergarten students in a district and half of the ninth grade students and pay the parents $50 a month if their students come to school and have 90% attendance or above. The other parents wouldn't get anything. So there's a lot of fallacies in that whole thing. I have to go back to when I was a superintendent. I convinced the board in one of the districts where I was that if the parents didn't send their children to school, we would actually charge them with educational neglect. Wow. And we actually did that. If parents were accepting the responsibility to get their children to school, you shouldn't be paying them, that's yeah. for sure. I think about the message that sends the kids uh, for once they get out of school and have to go and work in this world. The employers that I talk to, that is a problem. I just I talked to one this week that said, you know, if we could just get people to come to work, yeah. uh, then we could deal with how they work. But we need to get them here first. Yeah. And this is not a, not a good precedent to be setting for schools, for sure. And just when you thought it couldn't get any more bizarre, we go to Connecticut, Ralph, to end today. Stanford, Connecticut School Board, they have just voted for at least the next two years to get rid of Columbus Day and Veterans Day on the school calendar, meaning kids are going to have to go to school on those days. Ralph, your thoughts? Well, I think it's really a shame that we're going to that extent to eliminate some of those very meaningful holidays in the calendar. But let's bring it back to New York and Pennsylvania for a minute. New York has just passed a law to say that we're going to celebrate Asian Lunar New Year on February 10th. Now, this year that happens to be a Saturday, so it's not a problem. But next year it is on the calendar for January 29th. Kids will be off that day. They also, Pennsylvania, they've now voted to have Persian Gulf Veterans Day, First Responders Day, Global War on Terrorism Day. So when you get those additions, unfortunately, you got to take some subtractions out of there. And in this case, taking Columbus Day and particularly Veterans Day, I think is really inappropriate. And I'm sorry that it came to that. Yeah, I can a little bit maybe Columbus Day, but Veterans Day, come on. I mean, yeah. come on, Stanford, Connecticut. <laughs> that, that's, yeah. a, that's a no-no. Anyway, hey, Ralph, we've been a lot of places. If parents listening today want more information about the delays of those FAFSA forms, you have a wonderful website where folks can go and learn more. What is that, Ralph? Thank you, Bob. It's simply whyrun.org. Whyrun.org. Thank you, Dr. Kerr. Issues in Education comes your way Mondays during the Noon Report or online anytime at FamilyLife.org. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life Regional Weather Forecast. 
Well, on the weather map, the main weather action is to the west and south of us. Powerhouse storm crushing California with wind, rain, snows, and moisture keeping it rather wet in the deep south. But here in the northeast, high pressure will rule, and we're dry for the next several days. For this afternoon, some of us still cloudy, especially across parts of central western New York cloud cover breaking for some sun. Elsewhere, sun and clouds, high temps today, 30s and low 40s, turning out clear and frosty cold tonight, the low mostly 20s. Tomorrow and Wednesday, plentiful sunshine and tranquil. High temps tomorrow, 30s to near 40, mid-30s to mid-40s for high temperatures on Wednesday. All right, thank you very much, Kevin Williams. And finally at noon, one man's trash is another woman's treasure. Family Life's Brian Query has the story of a Maryland woman who gets her kicks, apparently, out of finding goods in the garbage. Jennifer Learis, a 40-year-old mother of two from Baltimore, started dumpster diving for art supplies years ago while in college. And now in her 20th year of her dumpster diving endeavors, she has hit a milestone as she's rescued $2 million worth of thrown away goods. Although she makes enough money as the owner of a marketing agency, Lyra said she enjoys rescuing items that are still in good shape and donating most of them to worthwhile organizations and causes. Some of her biggest items have included a Dyson hairdryer, a Roomba robot vacuum, and a brand new Dutch oven, all worth hundreds of dollars. She even found a full security system. And no, with all this stuff, her house isn't cluttered. What she can't use, she donates to local organizations in need. A real story of one man's trash becoming someone else's treasure. Brian Query, Family Life News. All right, great story. Thank you as always, Brian. And just like that, folks, we are out of time. That's the world we live in. Monday, February 5th. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.